Welcome everyone to episode 134 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I am your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss Liverpool's 1-1 draw with Aston Villa. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool falling behind, it's a problem that has obviously been a major one, a consistent one throughout this season. I've, I've gone away a little bit in recent weeks, but this time after the reprieve of out missed penalty from Molly Watkins, Liverpool did go 1-0 down thanks to Jacob Ramsey. And it wasn't until the 90th minute that they found their equaliser and a sort of a storybook equaliser, if you like, through Bobby Firmino. And then there was 10 minutes of out of time after that for Liverpool to try and find the winner. They couldn't manage it. So it is going to be a 1-1 draw for Liverpool, which obviously all but confirms that the Reds will be playing Europa League football next season. Um, and we'll talk about that in this podcast. We'll talk about the players who were playing their final game for me, not obviously being one of them as well. But first of all, Chris, let's have your three-red match review, please. And also your assessment of a performance which felt like a step backwards after weeks, well, seven weeks, I suppose, of uh, steps forward from Liverpool. Yeah, morning, Dave. Um, my three-word match report or re- review, I'm going to focus on the main event as opposed to the game as a whole because I think we'll touch on that in many ways. Uh, my three-word review is Bobby's last dance um, because, as you say, the, the storybook equaliser, how much it clearly meant to him, how much the occasion meant to him, how much he means to all of us. Um and again, we could probably talk for three or four hours just about Roberto Firmino, but that's just how big an impact he's had at Liverpool Football Club. Um, iconic figure, um, not not cult hero by any means, legend. Let, let's get that straight. Legend mm-hmm. from the outset. Um, and yeah, I, I, want, I want my review to reflect his importance as opposed to the manner in which the game panned out. But on the game as a whole... Uh, Frustrating start. I mean, as you say, it was it was a reprieve that the penalty missed because for the first half an hour, forty five minutes, for whatever reason, Liverpool didn't just didn't get going. Whether that's the impact of not having Klopp on the touchline, I don't know. But there were significant frustrations, just not being able to get going. And you know, we very rarely see Ibrahim Canate caught like caught like he was uh, as well. Um, there was the example again of Trent's maybe. Frustrations at right back when the ball came over his head and Ramsey finished it at the far post. Um, but picked up in the second half without being amazing. Um, again, the disallowed goal, I cannot fathom it. I absolutely I understand the logic behind it, but I cannot accept I cannot accept it. I cannot understand it. Um again, we might well touch on that, but I I, I just downright disagree. And I would have disagreed whoever scored the goal, to be honest. And then, yeah, late on, Loretta Firmino gets his moment in front of the cup. I know he, he's, he's enjoyed scoring at home this season. I think it's either his joint most or his most goals at home in an Anfield, in a, in a league campaign as well, which is some way to sign off and uh, it'll, it'll be sorely missed. But yeah, it's a result that kind of caps off a season of mass frustration. Um, and, but ultimately, yeah, if, if you just said to me, Liverpool played European football, a month and a half ago, two months ago, I probably would have been debating it, but it's been a good end to the season despite the draw and yeah, Europa League football, it is. Yeah, um, I suppose you are right. It has been a, a positive turnaround still, even if the, the final outcome is um, far from desirable. 
my theory of battery is very similar to yours. I, I went with Bobby's final act um, in, in front of the cop, like you say. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll do the performance first, I guess. Um, really, really poor, I thought. Um, you know, th- there was a lot of um, justifiable anger at the referee. I mean, the one I look at is... Is the Ming's decision for, oh, for the challenge? Wow. Um, Just well on Gakpo. I mean, I I think it's a red card. To be fair, um, I think I know, I know people compared to the skip one, but two wrongs don't make a right, do they? Exactly, yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's just you know obviously you know he does get his foot to the ball, and it's maybe one of them where people will say you shouldn't just look at a screenshot, but you know it's the height and, and force of the challenge, I suppose, which is the key thing. Um, and obviously, people point out as well that he was basically through on goal at that point, as if to to make matters worse. Um, so yeah, I mean that's the one I look at that um, annoys me. But and equally, and I don't know if I'm just saying this because the game maybe doesn't mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. Um, I think a draw is probably a fair result in the end. You know, um, Liverpool. I think. The story of this game was that Liverpool just completely and utterly lacked quality. You know, Trent and Salah, who have probably been Liverpool's two best players recently, were were both way off it here. I mean, Trent especially. I mean, Trent had his first bad game within this role. And I, I mean, for that to take, what, eight, nine matches before that comes, I mean, that's encouraging in a way. But yeah, he, he really struggled. Salah, Salah was off it. You know, Salah seems to be losing it every time he had it. But you know, it's the mark of him that he produces that moment of quality at the end to, to set up for me, you know. So, yeah, the first half was a story of, um, I mean, it was a game of two very different halves because, you know, Villa were taking it a lot more to Liverpool in the first. The second, you know, they were sort of sat in their, in their defensive shape. You know, let's not forget they had not only the penalty, the goal, but but also the the chance for Ramsey where Alisson makes a great save. I mean, Liverpool could conceivably have been three goals down at halftime by, by that measure, albeit with the um, referee decisions that were quite controversial. Um, second half, Villa basically sat in their shape. Um, that Unai Emery kind of mid-block, whatever you want to call it, was looked very, very sort of solid. Um, and I think you know he and he and Villa do deserve a lot of credit for how well they played yesterday. Um, obviously, coming very close to what would have been kind of a famous result for them. Um, and you know, I know people are like annoyed about the time wasting, uh, but I mean and that's just sort of part of the course. And also, as much as you know, Villa do deserve credit. Like I say, I think the amount of times Liverpool were, were playing the ball straight into Martinez's hands was just so excruciating. Honestly, like, and again, it comes down to just that that lack of quality, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the second half of Liverpool basically just attacking that kind of set defence for, for the whole thing. Villa very rarely threatened. Um, the whole half, and then Liverpool kind of get the breakthrough um, from their point of view with Firmino, obviously great finish, um, and then you wonder if you know can there be that kind of moment of drama in Liverpool really piling the pressure on at the end? But um, yeah, I don't think we can have too many qualms in light of how Liverpool played at the um, at the performance, and uh, obviously, like we've said, it um, all but confirmed Liverpool playing Europa League football next season i mean how do we feel about this result and that kind of um impact because you know we've seen um newcastle be brighton in midweek 
that was obviously a big blow in itself. And then Man United in a game that also started at 3 p.m., um, beating Bournemouth too. So it, you kind of had the feel of even if Liverpool had won yesterday with the fixtures that those two teams have remained and it wasn't really going to happen anyway. So does that make the the performance a lot more palatable in a sense? Because if Liverpool had played like that and it had maybe cost them an opportunity at Europe, you it, you would have been oh god, you would have been as angry as you would have been devastated, I suppose. Not the performance as such, because even as good as Villa have been on Dunay Emery, I still would have maybe expected a better performance. But perhaps the result in that again, even if it had been a win yesterday, United would still have had a game in hand against Chelsea. Newcastle know that they've had to be a quite you know, I'm trying to trying to explain the word for how poor Leicester have been yeah. recently, but just be a team that are for me all all as good as down on Monday and they would be guaranteed top four. United again, the form Chelsea have been in and also they would have even you know, whatever result they would have got at Bournemouth, they would have had two home games and I would have expected United to have done enough in those two home games to finish yeah. in the top four. Um and ultimately like to draw it back to a tweet from yourself yesterday that that I saw kind of scrolling through that um you know when a seven-match winning run doesn't end up in the top four, you know that the first half of the season is where the problems were, or earlier yeah. on in the season where the problems were. And ultimately, you know, we all kind of like gathered momentum, had the hope, and, 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 all, that, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think a while back, I'd probably accepted there was no top four anyway. So it doesn't make yeah. it it doesn't make it difficult to accept now because I'd kind of zoned out from it a while back. Mm. And ultimately, the main difference in, in, in the Europa League, I know that you talk about the quality of the teams, but there are some exceptional teams in the Europa League. The main difference that you talk about is financial. Mm. It, it, it is. It, it's, it's the money aspect because there's an absolute chasm in terms of the, the money that you get from like just a Champions League group stage win to winning the Europa League and, and, and things like that. But you know, the Europa League is not a bad competition whatsoever. And it's got a holy grail as a reward for winning it. And that has to be remembered. Mm. So whatever happens in the next season in the league, because of course there'll be competition. Chelsea can't be as bad. Tottenham can't be as bad. Newcastle will still be up there. They'll have mad investment. We don't know what happens with United in terms of their sales. Arsenal surely are stronger. Yeah. We don't even need to mention City because they're going to be guaranteed top four probably for the rest of our lives. Unless mm. things change. Um, you know, whatever happens in the top, what happens in the Premier League, you're going to have not a fallback, but another route into the Champions League, and that has to be remembered. So, yeah, of course you want the Champions League, but uh, the, um, the Europa League is not nearly, it's, it's not the end of the world at all, albeit it's not what we would have been expecting at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned it there. If someone had said to you this last season that Liverpool would finish fifth, or, or maybe sixth, but probably fifth, you would have been like, you know, there would, there would have been no part of you that believed that that was possible. Yeah. Was I mean, it, is there a trophy to go along with that? Um, As in, like, you know, one of the cups, or, yeah. Yeah, well, we have got the community shield, so <laughs> don't, don't forget. Hey, yeah. Don't forget. Um, so, I mean, I'll take your point about, obviously, it being a financial difference, and, and we do have to take the positives from, from being in that competition and try and make the best of it. 
I think one another difference though is the fact that it's just the experience as a fan. And I know like a lot of fans are like, you know, the finals in Dublin and stuff. And, you know, if Liverpool get there, then, then that could be kind of a, um, a really memorable experience. But I think it's those kind of dark November and December nights when you play in those kind of, maybe that, that sort of poor, those poorer teams in the group, you know, the ones where you're kind of kicking off at half past five on a Thursday and stuff like that, because you got kind of um, yeah. going away to those kind of minnows with, with all due respect, like, that's when it kind of is a little bit bleak to be in that competition. And I've always looked at it and thought the Europa League is really kind of dreary, to be honest, in that kind of group stage and maybe initial knockout rounds. Once you get to kind of the last 16, last eight, when you start to see the Champions League teams filter in, that's when I think it becomes, you know, quite exciting as a competition and the quality improves. Um, but yeah, I think that's gonna that that's where it's gonna sort of hit home and be like, yeah, this is um this is why we're so desperate to play Champions League football every year. And also, that's why, from a general football sense, that's why in recent years I've been such a big fan of the Europa League introducing a concept of the group winners missing a phase. Mm. Because now the group winners go yeah. through to the last 16 as opposed to this playoff round slash last 32 round, which is a yeah. big incentive. Because they've tried to find ways to make the Europa League more enticing, more you know, teams to take it more seriously. And that's why I'm a big fan of that of that new format. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, Liverpool will, would obviously have the opportunity to um, basically bypass around and, and save themselves a couple of games if they uh, do well. I think we'll, you know, we'll get into you know how Liverpool will approach the Europa League. I, I suppose in future podcasts, but um, probably we'll see quite a bit of rotation in the group stage, especially with that kind of Thursday Sunday schedule. Um, but hopefully, it's still the, the teams Liverpool put out are still strong enough to kind of get the job done. Um, do you think yesterday was a game that? You know, we've seen these seven victories. Do you think it was a game that emphasised how far Liverpool have to go to get back to the top? Was it kind of a reminder of the task facing the team in the transfer window? Because I suppose you could have looked at the past few weeks with this new system and being like, oh, hang on, maybe there isn't actually that much change needed. But is it would it be fair to kind of look at yesterday and be like, no. As, I mean, we saw Man City playing the champions yesterday. If we're going to be bridging that gap, there is still kind of a, a big void there. Possibly. I mean, to be fair, Klopp pointed out as well, throughout that throughout that run, there's been signs because let's say the four three against Tottenham, that should have been that should have been three and easy. That that shouldn't have ended up being as dramatic as it was. The win against Fulham, the win against Brentford, you know, two tight games where decisions if, if one or two decisions had gone other way, they wouldn't have been wins. So there's been evidence within this run anyway before yesterday that significant investment is still required. And, I mean, you mentioned City there. Look, they, they, they can put out, I think, as I saw someone say City haven't used that many players in the league this season or something along those lines. But you can't deny they have two 11s. Mm. And Liverpool don't have two 11s at the moment because, I mean, we've all seen the, the targets and stuff. I think, for me, this is this is something I've seen expressed as well on social media that the lack of number sixes being talked about. I think Ugarte is the main number six that's being talked about. But again, the amount of games next year, Fabinho, if Fabinho's starting as many games next year, how consistent can you expect him to be? I know he hasn't mm. been that bad recently, but can you expect him to be on the top of his game again? Um, of course, the Europa League might have to change some targets, but I still do think that Liverpool have a pull. 
Um, and I think that Klopp will play a big part in that. Um, it's it, it's a funny one because, yeah, yes, I know the goals yesterday because obviously, again, it was kind of the game that we've seen so many times and that Liverpool struggled to break down a low block as well. And maybe that is a game, I mean... Could you have, I mean, what kind of battle would Nunez against Mings have been yesterday? I'm not sure either player would have, would have stayed on the pitch. Um, but just th- those kind of options, I mean, I'm not saying more forward line, because I've said, I've said before, I don't think more forward options are required. I think the forward options are going to be fine for next season. But you're then looking for the, the age-old problem that Liverpool lack goals from midfield. Mm. Because, for example, with City, as you say, Ilkay Gundogan just chooses these random points during seasons to go on a goal-scoring stretch, and you can't stop the man. And that's where City have that advantage, where their midfield, they're not solely reliant on the forward players to create goals, to score goals, because their midfield players chip in so much. Um, I mean, we even saw Jacob Ramsey yesterday. I'm a massive fan of his. Absolutely massive fan. Um, And he was a player that, I was hoping under Steven Gerrard for Aston Villa would have played a bigger part. But again, he's someone that can go on to have a fantastic career because he's a midfielder that can contribute in mm-hmm. that. And I just think, you know, I know I'm saying this a week after Curtis Jones scores twice, but you can't expect him to do that every week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's that's the main issue for me. Um, because again, I don't know what your, your thoughts on the potential of Alexis McAllister, whether that's looking increasingly likely or not. I know Chelsea are interested, but again, excellent player it's just the goal scoring side of things how big an impact can he have in that regard and mm. who else do we look at with regards to that well um i definitely take your points i mean obviously there was the report last night from um an argentine journalist who's supposedly quite reliable that McAllister will be a liverpool player we'll obviously um keep the rest of that one um i mean if we're looking at him you know he, i think he has scored 10 goals a season but um probably maybe Penalties in there as well. Penalties, yeah. So um, obviously you can't read into that maybe too much. I think the main problem I looked at yesterday was um, kind of Henderson in that role where he's in the final third a lot. He just doesn't really have that attacking quality. You you mentioned the goal scoring there, but just someone who's kind of more kind of refined in that side of the game, you know, someone like Mason Mount, um, really. That that was the one that sort of um, frustrated me, I suppose. And... I think it's you know it's worth acknowledging that Liverpool have, have put together sort of this run of seven wins in a row, and like you know you, there are going to be games where you you drop off a little bit. So I think you know we have to kind of still look at the past the past few weeks as a um, a major step in the right direction and still really encouraging. Um, and today will hopefully just kind of be um, an aberration, as well as a you know you can you can look at it in a positive way and being like if there was any sort of and doubt about the importance of the summer creeping in among um, among the hierarchy then that's hopefully been put to bed um let's finish the podcast then by talking about uh, the players who, who bid uh, farewell to Anfield yesterday um I'll, we'll just deal with uh Cater and Oxley Chamberlain quickly I suppose I, I thought before the game the fact that neither of them were in their squad in the squad for the farewell game was unfortunately kind of a, a bit of a brutal summary uh, for those two um Cater, I'll say basically you look at every major signing of kind of the Michael Edwards era at Liverpool, and I think all of them 
were a kind of a resounding success, except that one, unfortunately. Um, you know, it has it has just been dictated by injuries. I don't know if you saw that that thread, Chris, of, of the top five uh, Nabucator injuries, but you know there were things like um, when the I think one of them that stood out. I don't know if this was number one on the list was when he was on a flight um, and for eight hours, and the aircon on the player made his neck stiff and he couldn't play. Just stuff like that, you know. His body has his body has just um, failed him, unfortunately. I think you know. I, I'm personally not someone who's, who's ever been sort of really critical of him. It's just a shame that a signing that had so much hype um, hasn't ultimately worked out. Although there have been a lot of kind. Of, I mean, Klopp said, you know, he's played a part in some super important games, um, which he has to be fair. So it's not all bad, but uh, certainly nowhere near expectations. And then Oxley Chamberlain. Um, there's obviously the prevailing narrative that the injury against Roma was kind of what did for him, and you look into it, and uh, he, I think he's actually had as many assists um, since that injury as he did in the as he did in the 17, 18 season before he got injured, um, and the goal scoring as well. I think he scored, um, what was it? I think he scored about sort of 15 goals since, and he scored like six goals before or something like that. I, I mean, starts as well. He started. As many games in 17-18 as the or more games in 17-18 in the Premier League than he has in the past three seasons. So, so that was the turning point, basically. Um, for Oxley yeah. Chamberlain, that that narrative is correct. It was a horrific injury. You know, I always thought it was just ACL, but I looked it up the other day, and it wasn't that. It was he damaged his um, cruciate ligament, um, his medial ligament, and then he the tendons to his hamstring as well. So he's really kind of. You know, it's an absolutely devastating injury for him. Um, and it's no surprise that he lost that kind of uh, explosiveness, I suppose, that characterised his game before that. And we'll see where both of those players end up. But let's spend a little bit, maybe more time, on uh, Milner and Firmino then, I suppose, who have been kind of the more uh, legendary figures of the era. Um, final kind of reflections, Chris, first of all, on uh, on James Milner. Yeah, just want to say quickly on Cater and Ox. Um, again, my main frustration with Naby Cater was that the first number eight after Steven Gerrard didn't live up to the number. Mm. That was my main frustration. Um, we saw his quality, but at the same time, you look at, say, Atletico Madrid away when he scored an amazing volume as a fault for the two goals. And I think that's just kind of Naby Cater in a nutshell. Mm. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I've said before, and I will say again, it's a theory that I will hold forever that injury against Roma prevented him from being one of the best midfielders of the club era if not one of the best players of the club era and I do genuinely think that because he was playing probably the best football he'd ever played and it was just taken away from him um, in a flash and he never recovered that and I, I do feel an immense amount of sympathy for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and with Cater's injuries anyway, so yesterday he got injured picking up his plaque <laughs> <laughs> Just holding this plaque, and he's like, ah, paper cut. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, uh, I wish them, wish them all the best. And, you know, again, any former local player, we will keep track of their careers and see where they end up. Um, if Saints had stayed up, I would have fancied Ox going there, but yeah, mm. you never know. Uh, on James Milner, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> Just an incredible servant. Um, for a free signing, just competes with Joel Matip in terms of his effectiveness on a free for, for Liverpool. He has been Mr. Reliable for forever. 
pretty much. Um, you remember playing at left back for an entire season, um, how well he played at left back that season. So cool from the penalty spot. Just he did everything that you require of him. And for any young player growing up, if you want to have an amazing career, there's players to look up to in terms of the discipline or you know, ability. Ronaldo, Messi, name but two. If you follow James Milner's mindset and James Milner's ethic and his career path and just how he treated his career, you will have an amazing football career because he is one heck of an idol to follow. Just a discipline. You never heard anything bad about him off the pitch. Just an incredible, incredible person, incredible footballer. And he... He goes down for me as a Premier League legend, not just not just a mm. Liverpool legend, a Premier League legend. And I think that, that has got to be anticipated. He gets booed by City fans, which I just think is ridiculous, given what he did for them as well. He never got the playing time. Never got the playing time for them. And he he's just an incredible figure. And it's 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 great that he's a Leeds lad and he says Liverpool's his club. And I, th- I think that that means that means a lot as well for someone that has someone that has and will have such an incredible standing in the game. And again, I, I he's just incredible. Lit- I could go on forever about James Milner, but yeah, um, a really, really, really special figure in Liverpool's recent history. And Klopp is right where he says the stuff that Liverpool have achieved wouldn't be achieved without him and Firmino. I remember when. Uh... You know, just to put in perspective how long he's actually been at Liverpool. I remember when the news broke that we were signing Milner. Um, I was in, I think, what was it? It would have been the, it would have been the end of the 14-15 season. Yeah, I just finished my first year of uni. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, um, God, I, I was in year 11 at that time. Oh, now so I like, feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, obviously, like now, like, you know, to, to think, you know, I was in year 11 at school and you know, I'm sort of like left uni like um, more than two years ago. It's like, it's just it's just crazy to think of, of how long he's kind of been a Liverpool player, really. Um, you know, been here obviously even longer than, than Jürgen Klopp. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, one of the interesting things with Milner will be, and I can't really add too much based on what you've said there, Chris, but one of the interesting things is, you know, we've seen how many times Klopp has sort of brought him on um, as a sub, and he, he was talking yesterday after the game about how he views that as such an effective tactic. Um, and I think I, I wrote this week that he might be sort of wine out of them, like in the sense that you won't know kind of what you had until he's gone in terms of the value of that kind of leadership, him setting the culture and stuff. Um, and I think Klopp, that's why Klopp was so desperate to keep him around um, at Anfield. He said multiple times that he wouldn't have achieved what we had um, without Milner there. And, you know, you can't underestimate the importance of those figures. And incidentally, it actually does, in terms of not overlooking the football and things, actually does. He, he played really well when he came on yesterday. Um, did kind of the perfect job in the circumstances. You know, it wasn't just kind of a, a token sub at all. But um, Roberto Firmino then, t- to finish up, um, obviously, like Milner, um, was, in, uh, was in tears at Anfield yesterday, really just kind of soaking it up one last time. Um, we've done a podcast looking into kind of the, you know, his decision to leave, what it means, things like that, um, when it happened. But I remember saying at the time that we wanted to look into Firmino's uh, best moments as well um, in a separate episode. So 
So let's do that now to finish. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, Chris, and ask, you know, <laughs> as he is about to play his last ever Liverpool game, what your kind of favourite Roberto Firmino moments or, or moments were. Oh, boy. Uh, um, you know what? There's one game that sticks out to me when I'm talking about Roberto Firmino. I didn't even score in this game. Southampton at home, 2019-20, 4 nil, three assists. And I think that just kind of summed up what Roberto Firmino is all about. Because, again, there were times where people were mocking him for the lack of goals. Roberto Firmino was more than that. He, Roberto Firmino is just incredible because he changed what people thought a number nine should be able to do. And he, of course, he played a midfield kind of at the start, but then became part of that front three. And it's just how he imposed himself. It was, it, his game intelligence is up there with some of the best I've ever seen live. He's just, his awareness, his ability, his ability to drop deep, bring others into play. And he he does score goals. Let's say, that's not saying he doesn't score goals. To score 100 plus goals for Liverpool is an incredible achievement. Mm. And of course, I'm sure Arsenal will be glad to see the back of him. Because, <laughs> not just for the fact he... Uh, pretty much ended their title challenge uh, this season. Um, I'm sure people might debate that, but, um, you know, he, he is just, again, so reliable. It's just such a big part of everything that Liverpool have achieved under Jurgen Klopp. And the fact that he was already here before Klopp came in as well. And Klopp came in and he said, I'm buzzing for me, those here, because I was trying to sign him for Dortmund. Hmm. <laughs> that just tells you how important Klopp was always going to make Roberto Firmino. Yeah. I mean, even <laughs> even when he sent Roberto Soldado for a hot dog in the main stand, <laughs> moments like that, they will live on forever um, from Roberto Firmino. And again, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you know, there's many that I can think of here, even like behind closed doors, that goal against Chelsea to get his first downfield goal of the season. He scored some really incredible, really important match winners in the league mm. winning season as well. Um, whilst it maybe wasn't as a prolific campaign, but that, that, that was really important as well. Um, so again, th- th- this feels like quite a short section for me to talk about Firmino, but it's just because I've got that memory, memory running through my head. It's difficult to put them all into words. Um, but again, to touch on what you said, in, in Milner being a kind of, you don't, know what it, you don't know what it is until he's gone kind of player. You do wonder whether that'd be the case with Firmino as well, but ultimately, I think it, I think with Firmino, what the slightly different to Milner, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is Firmino's decision, and yeah. the club would have happily kept him on. But he, he, I think he's looked at the forward line and gone right. It's a young, promising forward line. I don't want to stand in their way, mm. and I think all of us would have gladly said, "No, please, <laughs> like maybe not stand in the way, but please, like don't go." But. It, it's his decision, and again, you, you can't wish him anything but the best. And thank you for everything. Yeah, and I just hope that we don't um, that he doesn't join a Europa League club and and end up, end up playing against Liverpool next season no. because I think we'd have to fall for that one. Um, I mean, I can only echo what you've said there, and on the uh, on the thing with you know Klopp and and how well that worked. It was sort of the the player manager matchup made in heaven, I suppose that one. 
Um, and you could see kind of how emotional Klopp was yesterday as he did leave. Um, in terms of a favourite kind of moment, the one that kind of, if I'm just going with my gut on this, I'm not kind of breaking it down. The one that kind of jumps out to me is the goal against uh, Man City um, in uh, 17 18, yeah, when yeah. Uh, in the game Liverpool won 4 3. When he sort of chipped it over Edison and, and the ball went in off the I think the fact that the ball went in off the post enhanced that goal so much as well. And I remember it was sort of identical, wasn't it, to a goal that Robbie Fowler scored at Old Trafford, I think. Yes. Um, almost an exact carbon copy. So I think that was just sort of it captured for me you now in the sense of obviously being a big goal, um, but also just kind of the the impedance, the the skill of it um was outrageous. And another one, I think in terms of actually being inside the stadium, was um, in the 5-1 win over Arsenal. I think Firmino scored a hat-trick in that game. But it's probably one of his most iconic goals. I think he's hit sort of three or four Arsenal players down before yeah. scoring it. And I was I was in the Anfield Road when he scored. So I was kind of watching kind of the melee uh, right in front of my eyes, really. And um, yeah, it was just a outrageous goal. And I think you could make the case that no player in the whole club era has forged as strong a bond with the supporters as Firmino has. And obviously loads of them have, but just in terms of that kind of slight edge. And I think as much as I have total confidence in Cody Gakpo to kind of be that Firmino successor in terms of his football and profile, the one thing that is almost daunting for him, I think, is can he kind of inspire that same love and affection yeah, because um, he will have seen that obviously up close yesterday but I do think Liverpool can be kind of look to the future sort of excited rather than kind of saddened because they do they've already sort of brought in a player I think who will be able to um, follow in Firmino's footsteps but yeah that'll uh, about wrap up this uh, Aston Villa uh, reaction episode we've um, obviously done it done it a little bit differently today um, with it kind of being um, a, a an occasion beyond, I suppose, the match that actually took place. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please do give us a five-star review on Spotify or any other podcast platform that you use. It only takes a second, but it makes a huge difference to us. And um, also, you can follow the podcast better notification button so it appears in your feed and get a uh, you can get a message every time we upload a new episode. Remember that we upload our podcast to YouTube as well. Um, and if you're watching on there, please do like the video, comment, subscribe, um, etc. And in the meantime, we will be back uh, after the game against Southampton, Liverpool's last game of the season. A game which may not mean that much, um, but hopefully Liverpool can finish the season on a high, heading into a crucial summer. And we will obviously be with you throughout the off-season as well. But yeah, thanks very much, Chris. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next time.